the name of the Father and the Son and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. I remember the seminary professor of mine uh, used to say, uh, there is no way to get to Christmas without going through John the Baptist. <laughs> and uh, of course, he was, he was absolutely right. Every year, uh, right around this time, we encounter this eccentric uh, prophet out in the wilderness who clearly understood his mission to be preparing the way of the Lord. So preparing the way was something that was not unfamiliar to people in the first century. Um, the reality is the roads were primitive and they were precarious at best. And so whenever a royal person was going to go on a journey, there were always people who were sent out ahead to remove boulders, to make the rough places plain, and to fill in the potholes. We could use some of those people uh, around here. Um, so whenever the orange barrels appeared, uh, people in that time, unlike us today, knew that something significant was actually going to happen. So the prophet Isaiah takes this very popular experience and uses it as sort of a prophetic symbol of what would precede the coming of the Messiah. And the way John fulfilled that role of preparing the way was by preaching this message of repentance. That word was central to everything that John said to anybody who would listen to him, really. So I'd be interested this morning in exactly what your feelings are in regards to that word, repent. My fear is that for most of us it has a very negative connotation. Uh, when we hear it, we immediately think of the darker parts of our lives, uh, the skeletons in our closet, uh, the things that we uh, did that we wish we hadn't, or the things that we didn't do that we wish to God we had. Um, repentance in many people's minds is associated with remorse, with regret from the past, and because it has such a negative connotation, it usually has the effect of draining all of the energy from us. Nobody likes to go to confession, if anybody goes to confession anymore. I'm not sure about that. And the irony, of course, is that um, that's exactly the opposite of the kind of impact that John the Baptist had back in the first century. If you look at any of the Gospels, if you know anything about this man, his ministry evoked an incredible amount of excitement. Uh, when he began to cry out in the wilderness, uh, something began to stir in Israel that hadn't happened in centuries. They developed a sense of hope. People recognized that something was happening and that therefore the future could be different than the past. In that single word, repent, they were given a sense of hope and they were empowered to see the future differently. So it seems to me that if John is going to have that same role for us of preparing the way, we need to look again at this word, repentance. Several years ago, I remember reading this sermon by Barbara Brown Taylor. 
uh, that was really helpful to me along this line. And Barbara pointed out that repentance actually has more to do with the future than it does the past. Repentance is not just saying, I am sorry for what was. It is also about saying it can be different in the future. So the word literally means to turn around. So here you are walking in one direction and repentance occurs when you proceed in a completely different direction. So what comes to mind is the wise men who we're going to encounter in a couple of weeks you remember that they were all on this spiritual journey. And once they have encountered the little baby, Matthew tells us that they went home, but by another way. Barbara Brown Taylor also goes on to say that repentance is not so much something that we have to do in order to make good things happen. It is rather our response to the good things that happen to us by the grace of God. It is not, for example, as though we have to repent and therefore God loves us. No, it is beginning with the idea of how much God already loves us that empowers us to turn around and move in another direction. In other words, repentance rightfully understood is always a response to God's grace rather than a prerequisite of grace. Repentance is what we are capable of doing when important events break into our lives that lift us up and put us down in a new place. And so we are enabled to act differently. And so in a real sense, when you start to understand repentance in that way, you can find excitement in it just like the people in the first century. It reminds us that we are not victims, that we can overcome our mistakes, that the future can be different. So what Barbara did in this sermon was she laid out some examples of that that I want to share with you this morning because I think it helps to put some flesh on this otherwise sort of vague idea. For example... She talks about a friend of hers who did a six-month sabbatical in one of the developing countries in West Africa. This woman lived during these months with people who had a very simple lifestyle. So she lived among children who were running around barefoot most of the day. Um, people who had um, a lot less to eat, not just in terms of quantity, but also quality than she was used to. And yet she saw in that simple way of life people who were putting together very joyful lives. So when she came back to this country, she had literally been lifted up and put down in a new place. She saw everything about her old lifestyle in a new way. And maybe you have also encountered people from the Peace Corps who have had that experience when they come home. For example, she looked in her closet, uh, literally bulging with clothes that she had collected over the years, many of which she knew she would rarely, if ever, wear again. And in light of what had happened to her in Africa, again, not out of a sense of guilt, 
but rather with a kind of joyful exuberance, she took those clothes that she knew she would rarely, if ever, wear, and she gave them to people who would use them. Everything was different. That's repentance. Again, repentance is not so much saying, I am sorry about the past. It is instead saying, I am hopeful about the future. So again, Barbara tells about another one of her friends who uh, woke up in the middle of the night with a mild discomfort in her chest. And as she began to feel, she touched what I suspect is any woman's fear. There was a lump in one of her breasts that had never been there before. It was 2 o'clock in the morning when she discovered this. Obviously, no way to go to a doctor right away. She had nothing to do but to lie there until the morning light came and she could get a medical opinion. She obviously couldn't go back to sleep. And in light of this new discovery about herself, she began to think differently about her life. She began to think, what would I do if my days and nights I found to be fewer than I expected in the future? She began to think of people who she loved and what she would want to express to them. She thought about places that she would want to go, things that she would want to do. At about 8 o'clock in the morning, she found herself in her gynecologist's office. The gynecologist, of course, sends her to a, a surgeon. Subsequent tests proved that this lump was not malignant. But that night vigil of living from 2 a.m. to 8 a.m. had made a real difference in this person. From that moment, she did begin to make time more available for those that she loved. She did begin to express more clearly how she felt. She did begin to live more intentionally. That's repentance. Again, it's when something happens and we recognize that we have the power to act differently on the other side of it. It's not so much being sorry about the past as, as it is being hopeful and creative about the future. Or maybe an even more revealing example of what repentance is, is something that a minister friend of mine from Virginia shared, uh, a couple in his congregation uh, who had an only child. He was sort of the apple of their eye. They poured all of their affection, all of their energies into him. And this young man responded beautifully. He was a brilliant student. He got accepted into a prestigious law school. But one Christmas holiday, um, driving home to be with his family, within two blocks of his house, he came to an intersection. And another young man, about the same age, who had spent far too much time the night before in a bar, didn't see the red light. He broadsided the car of this graduate student at full speed, killing the graduate student right on the spot, though he himself 
was not even injured. The police got there. The man was so drunk, he didn't even know where he was or what he had done. Well, of course, the parents were devastated. And not surprisingly, they channeled all of those hurt feelings and grief into great anger against this careless young alcoholic who had so needlessly ended the life of their son. They pressed charges. Uh, they actually worked with the prosecution in developing the case, and they were in the front row as that courtroom trial unfolded. When the young man was found guilty and sentenced, they were the first ones out of the courtroom and standing on the steps, interviewed by the television media, said that they were delighted that justice had been done. That though it couldn't bring back their boy, at least this menace had been taken off the streets. Well, when the trial was over and all of the excitement of preparing for the trial had come to an end, this couple still found themselves being eaten up by their resentment towards this young man. And so they went to their minister to discuss what they were experiencing. And he was very understanding. He didn't shame them for their feelings of anger. He didn't in any way try to push the river of grief any faster than it has its own nature to flow. However, at an appropriate time, he said to them, you know, there are some things that you could do differently with your feelings, which understandably are still rising up in you. And they said, what? He said, well, what I'm going to suggest is probably going to sound outlandish at first, but let's just look at it. He said, you could begin to forgive that young man up in the state penitentiary. He said, realize now that forgiveness involves two things. First of all, forgiveness is the decision not to punish. It's the recognition that none of us knows enough of all the circumstances behind any event to really pass ultimate judgment. And therefore, we hand over to the only one who is qualified the whole business of punishment. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That is a very powerful and yet very appropriate statement. So it is, first of all, the decision not to punish. And secondly, he said, forgiveness is the decision not to let an old wound continue to hurt you. It's a way of saying, this was a terrible thing that happened and it wounded me horribly but I am not going to let the resentment I have continue to corrode my soul. Forgiveness, they say, is finally a gift that we give to ourselves. It's a way of disconnecting, a way of releasing from something that was terribly painful in the past. Well, when the parents heard this, uh, they were frankly outraged. There is something that is completely unnatural about the whole process of forgiveness. It sounds like it is just not fair from an emotional level. 
It doesn't seem right to let somebody off the hook when in fact they should be turning and twisting painfully in the wind because of what they have done. And so they left the minister's office that day actually offended by his suggestion. And yet, as they lived on, they continued to realize that their resentment was eating them up, that it was actually putting distance between themselves and other people. And so they came back to his office to talk again about this suggestion that they might channel their feelings in a different direction. And finally, with great effort, they were able to sit down and write a simple letter saying to this young man, we still hate what you did, but we no longer hate you. As best we can, we give you the gift of forgiveness. Well, interestingly enough, when this young man in prison got that letter, he was as upset as the parents had been when the minister first suggested that. You see, the truth is, it is no easier to receive forgiveness than it is to give it. We human beings would much rather justify ourselves by our own behavior than have to admit that we were wrong. To be forgiven is to admit, I don't deserve this, I really deserve something else, and yet I have been given a grace. So the young man's reaction to the letter initially was one of anger. He felt like they were intruding into his life again and forcing him to remember something that he wanted with all of his power to forget. But he went to the prison chaplain and began to talk through all of that. And as a result of their offer to forgive, for the first time, this young man ceased to be defensive. He began to look at the horror of what he had done and the floodgates of sorrow that he had kept bottled up began to overflow. He was able finally to sit down and write a letter to them saying that he accepted their forgiveness, acknowledging how completely wrong he was. In other words, he got to the place of receiving after they had gotten to the stance of giving. Well, that exchange was so surprising and so meaningful that the parents decided to take a second step, this time writing and ask if they could come and visit the young man in prison. At first, he was very uneasy, having to sit down face to face with his accusers, as they were also about having to see this young man again. But he finally consented, and so they went one day. And it was terribly awkward. I mean, here were these three virtual strangers to each other with a whole reservoir of guilt and anger between them. It was hard to know what to say or how to act. Can you imagine? But eventually they began to talk to each other, just exchanging those little tidbits that are the beginning of a relationship. And as that young man began to tell his story, these parents began to realize that he was more than just the person who had killed their son. He was a human being with a history of his own. And as he began to tell it, he began 
in a very tragic way to make psychological sense. See, he had not had the kind of parent that the boy he had killed had had. He'd never had an adult who took any interest in him at all. He had grown up in a broken home. He had gotten precious little attention. As a result, his self-esteem was very low. He had never finished high school, therefore could not find a job that would bring any meaning to his life. And so alcohol was what he turned to to fill the emptiness in his soul. It was a way of putting distance between himself and his pain. You know, they say everybody makes sense psychologically if only you know enough. Father John Powell says that people are shaped by those who choose to love them and those who refuse to love them. And this man was largely in the second category. And therefore, though what he had done was in no way admirable, it was at least in part understandable. He was a human being, not just a human doing. And as they began to see beyond the terrible thing that had ended their son's life, they began to see a tragic, neglected young man. Some of the affection that they had had for their own son began to find its way in the direction of this young man. They continued to visit. They encouraged him to get his GED. They encouraged him to go and get the therapy that was made available to him at the prison. And in four years, they kept up this steady relationship of encouragement. And when that young man was paroled, those parents did something that would have been unthinkable four years earlier. They invited him to come and live in their home. And they began to be to him the parents he had never known. And he, in part, became to them the son that they had lost. And these three human beings struggled to bring some kind of meaning on the other side of tragedy. We call that repentance. Something happens and we have the power to do differently because it has happened. Repentance is not our making grace happen by somehow earning it. Repentance is what we do when grace does happen and events pick us up and put us down in a different place. And that's what the Baptist came preaching. That's how he prepared the way for the Lord. And the truth this morning is that if you will hear repentance as a gift of hope rather than as a sentence of shame, if you will see repentance as the reminder that life can be different, it doesn't have to go on being always the same, then the voice crying in your wilderness this morning can be a figure of hopefulness rather than a figure of despair. And you will be made ready for the one who comes and who has the power to make all things new. Amen.